So it's an honor to be here as your, um, as your brother in Christ this morning, and that, that's who I am. I'm not a talking head. I'm not here to pontificate. I'm a brother, and I'm on the same journey you're on, have the same joys, sorrows, hopes, dreams, um, struggles. Um, some of you might remember me from one of the last times I was here, and I gave, I, I, at the very end, I gave it like a father blessing over someone in both services that were sitting kind of on the front row, and it's, uh, it doesn't escape me this morning that there is no one on the front row uh, today. But I can find you wherever you are. Um, so um, I've been asked to kind of participate in the series that you have ongoing. It's about relationships, as you know, and I think uh, most specifically about family relationships. Um, this is the title that I didn't make up. This came to me. Um, you know, first comes love, then comes marriage, then comes whoever with the baby carriage. So then comes baby and so you might say, why do I need to listen to you about this topic? Well, here might be one of my qualifications. Um, you know, of course, there I am. There's my partner for 45, 47 years, uh, Carla, and my oldest daughter, Andrea, her husband, Dusty, my middle daughter, who's a therapist. If you have a therapist in your family as a child, God love you. Um, <laughs> she's, a, she's a beautiful young lady, but I mean, you, when you're, you're in, a, in a room with her, I'm always looking for that therapist headcock. You know, I'll say something. I'm just being myself. And she goes, I'm like, don't do that to me. I'm, I'm, your, I'm not your client. I'm your daddy. Um, this is uh, her husband, John. These are their two little uh, children. And these four are their children. This is my youngest daughter, Caroline, professional dancer, um, the good kind of dance. And she's uh, getting, getting her master's in dance at UC Boulder. And she has a boyfriend. He just couldn't be with us and this picture. So this might be um, one thing that might encourage you to listen to me. I don't, you don't know how well I've done in this context, but I have been in the context of, of walking with children and actually, as I'll tell you more in a moment, healing the little, little boy that lives inside of me and that, li that, that little kid that lives inside of all of us this morning. Now another, and, and that's this picture, um, that's me. Um, that was 1959, I was five years old and uh, no teeth, and uh, kindergarten graduation. And I guess the other qualification of being on this topic with you is that that little boy grew up in a Christian home, but how many of you know that you can be in a Christian home and it can be really jacked up emotionally and be incredibly dysfunctional? And that, uh, that was my home. And I don't think I even knew the wounds that I had until I got married. And in that intimate relationship, those wounds started to come out. Um, and so um, I started a long journey. Uh, you know, I could, I could see the wounding when we had kids. I could see the wounding early in our marriage, as I mentioned, and uh, even in my early pastoral ministry, to the point that when I was 36, even though I was successful on paper, I guess if you'd look at me, you would say, I, you, you have a successful life. I was so empty inside. Those wounds had just sucked the life out of me. So one day on the east side of Detroit, right over here, um, to our east on 94, around Allard, I almost committed suicide one night after another successful speaking performance. I, uh, my heart was just so empty, I almost, I almost took my own life. So I've spent the last 32 years um, on a healing journey um, with this book, with the Jesus of this book, this book is not the end. This book points us to the end. The one who is the one, and his name is Jesus Christ. 
and with various aspects of Christian community, including a really good therapist. And so part of, one of the questions I've been trying to answer for myself over the years is how do we parent children? How do we grandparent children? For those of us who are just influencers, all, all of us know children in some uh, way. We, we see them at the zoo. How, how do we uh, interact with our kids in this era and, uh, and help them know the God who loves them? and who wants to set them free. So I want us to read a passage um, this morning. Um, I'll read it for you. It's out of Deuteronomy. I call this um, the Apostles' Creed of the Hebrew community. Uh, this is still recited in the morning and the evening in Orthodox Jewish circles. Um, I, would, I would also call this uh, the original parenting passage, and you'll see more about that, uh, uh, why I believe that in a moment. So here's what Moses says with the voice of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently. We'll come back to that word in a moment. To your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So, next slide, Mike. What we're trying to um, say this morning is that this is my little community of children. My wife is taking the picture. That's why she's not in the picture. My oldest daughter, Andrea, that you just saw as a grown woman. My middle daughter, Leanne. And I really don't know what she's doing there, I think she's saying we're number one or something like that, uh, but it's cute anyway. And this is my baby daughter, Caroline, who had just been born. Sorry about my um, lack of a dress code there, but that's, that was our home that morning. So the question of the morning is for the children in our lives. I don't know what it's like for you. Uh, they're not always this young, but it would be great if we could start when they're this young. Sometimes we can't. But how are we going to take the truth in Deuteronomy 6 and somehow press that truth into the hearts of these children so they grow up knowing that God loves them and they want to give away that love to the world? So I think there are three things. There's so many things, really, but I'm going to mention three that come out of this text that I think will be helpful for us today. The first one is this. The most important truth out of this text, the whole Bible for that matter, from us to our kids is that God eternally and deeply loves you. Not just the world. We kind of, yeah, if God is love, of course he loves the world. But so many of us don't know that he sees us. And all of our joy and sorrow are our gift and our baggage. And he loves us the most important truth we can communicate to our children of any age is that God eternally and deeply loves them. If you remember the text we just had up there, the you uh, is directed to the grown-ups in the Hebrew community as they come out of the exodus and they're getting ready to go into the land of promise, the land of Canaan, you know, the promised land. And so um, the you is for all of us who are trying to influence children and then the, your children, of course, is talking about the kids. 
And the text says, teach them God's life-giving commands, but, and don't miss this, those life-giving commands must be grounded in God's love for them and his love and their love back to him. And so what you don't know when you read Deuteronomy 6 is that in Deuteronomy 4, there's a little text that says, remember Israel, God loves you. And in Deuteronomy 7, there's another little text that says, don't forget, God chose you, not because you had anything to offer him, just because he loves you. So you've got kind of like a theological Oreo cookie here. You have the two outer uh, chocolate slabs of God loves you, God loves you. And then in the middle, that cream filling is out of that love. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. Teach your children to love the Lord their God and let all the commandments that I'm going to give them be couched in my love for them and their love back to me. And my brothers and sisters, I've come to believe over the years, especially in the healing part of my journey, um, that that's everywhere in Scripture. It's as early as this in terms of the covenant that God was re-upping with Israel as they went into the promised land. But it's everywhere. So you go to a passage like the prodigal son where Jesus of Nazareth himself says, let me tell you what God is like. Whether you're a son that runs off into the far country and parties your, your soul away, or whether you're a really religious cat that sits outside the party, uh, the father's pursuing you because he loves you. And he's not saying, do this, do this, and repent of this, repent of that. He's saying, I love you. So if you respond to my love, all shall be well. You will live into that love, and that's all I'm looking for. Or you look at the Gospel of John. Uh, for God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And then Later on in John 14, if you love me in response to that love, Jesus says, you will keep my commandments. I'm not just telling you to keep my commandments. I'm telling you if you fall in love with me because I'm in love with you, then you will, you will just keep my commandments. And then John 15, 9, when Jesus is sending the disciples out after the uh, crucifixion and um, right before the crucifixion and some of the last words he shares with them as their marching orders. He said, look, this is what you got to know. He doesn't mention Torah. He doesn't mention a specific Christian list um, of, of obedience. He says, as the Father has loved me, so love I you. Make your home in my love. You can't survive, you can't thrive without making your home in my love. John goes on to say in 1 John 4, 19, we love him because he first loved us. Galatians 2.20, what some people say is Paul's life verse, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but Christ lives within me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God who loves me, who loves me and gave himself for me. And then, of course, Peter can't forget Peter, the guy who was all about getting it done. I will obey you, Lord. Those other loser apostles, they're going to walk away from you, but I will, I will, I, I, I will obey, obey, obey. And then, of course, he failed miserably in, on the shores of Galilee in John 21. Jesus brought him back and said, don't you understand? It's not about your efforts to obey. It's about my love for you and your love for me. Do you love me? Then go feed my sheep. And so when Peter writes to the churches in Asia Minor, he says, this is what your Christianity is about. The one you have not seen, that one, you love. I, I, I could go on. I mean, I could just keep quoting these verses because they're everywhere. This is the rhythm in the scripture. Not just do, 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 obey, 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 
but let me love you. And if you get my love, you will love me back, and then the obedience will flow from that love. Now, then he says, I want you to teach that. That's Deuteronomy 6. Teach that to your children. And he said, teach it to them diligently, which means, first of all, teach it repeatedly. You notice he said, when you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, when you rise up, when you lie down. And then he talked about putting it on your forehead and on your forearm and on the doorpost. And so what you'll see today, if you, if you Google Israel and just look at common uh, Jewish folks, more religiously orthodox and conservative folks, you'll see on their foreheads, many of them, and on their forearms, wrapped around with, with leather uh, bands, you'll see little uh, leather boxes. And inside, there'll be the Shema and some other passages of Scripture because they were taking literally Deuteronomy 6. I need to keep it on my forehead. I need to keep it right here. When I look down at my hands, this is what I do with my life. I use my hands. I look down, and there it is. God loves me. He's asking me to love him back. And then out of that, uh, his, his obedience, my obedience for, to him will flow. And then the, the doorpost, it's, it's a thing called the mezuzah. I can't remember if that's the Hebrew word or the Greek translation, but anyway, mezuzah, you, if you go to Israel, if you go to little shops down in the Jewish quarter, there'll, there'll be mezuzahs all over the place, and they put them on their doorpost in obedience to this command, and inside there'll be a little scroll wrapped up that often contains at least the Shema. In other words, I want you to repeatedly, as you parent your children, remind them of how much I love you and how much I love them. Encourage them to love me back. Teach them to love me while their heart, soul, and mind. And then the obedience will flow. You can teach them commandments in that saturated love experience. And then the other nuance of the word teach them diligently, I would say is the English word incisively. And so um, incisively means not just to our left brains. We are obsessed in Western Christianity with text, and I love this book, man. As you may have heard me say in the past, by the time I graduated from seminary, I had six years of Greek, two years of Hebrew, three years of Latin, and I love this book. But we're not just left brain people. Concepts live in our left brain. Truth is good, but we have to be able to experience that truth. That's our limbic brain. That's the other part of, of the way we are as human beings. And so uh, 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 Moses is saying, don't just give them words. Teach them with their experience. And in fact, you can see this from Peter Craigie in his commentary on Deuteronomy, which is one of the best little commentaries available. The command to love is central because the whole book is connected with the renewing of the covenant, coming out of the Exodus, going into the promised land. And although the renewal demanded obedience, don't miss this, because this is usually what in Christianity I sense we get. Obedience, it demands obedience, you need to obey, it demands obedience, and we pass it on to our children. But look what this commentator said about Deuteronomy 6. That obedience could, would be possible only when it was a response of love to the God who had brought the people out of Egypt because he loved them. And so, take a look at this um, picture. This is me with my middle daughter, the now therapist, um, um, you know, fishing. Don't you wonder what she's feeling there? We're not saying a word. You don't talk when you fish, right? Fisher, people, that scares the fish. 
She just, honestly, I will tell you this, parents, especially with young kids, I would, I would give anything to be able to go back here for just a day. Don't let your life pass you by. I was a pastor. I was trying to save the world. I didn't save it. But that little girl, that moment right there is gold because at that moment, she, I am diligently as a dad, repeatedly but incisively. She is experiencing the love of the father through the love of this wounded healer dad. And it's interesting. I hadn't seen this in years. My oldest daughter is right here. Almost as if she's saying, when you're done with Leanne, daddy, will there be a place for me? She didn't care a rip about the fish. Will there be a place for me to be in your arms of love? So you might say, why is this so important that we don't just say, obey me because I'm your parents? You know, you know you, all of us have done this. I, I hope you haven't, but I know I did over the years. Why do I have to because I'm your dad? So why is that not the pathway? Uh, look at these next quotes. These are from um, Kurt Thompson, I believe, the Christian psychiatrist. We all come out of the womb looking for someone, looking for us with love and delight. When I heard Chris Thompson say that in a little seminar that I went to, he said, today I'm 56 years old, I'm still looking for this. Because, look at the next quote, our brains, as long as we're alive and functioning, aren't wired to respond to rules. They're wired to respond to love. The neurobiological community, we're not even talking necessarily Christians here, we're just talking scientists, have discovered that the brain responds not primarily to rules, but to love. It lights up when we're loved. In fact, they know that as early as the third trimester of, in the womb, a little child can know whether they're experiencing love or love's opposite shame outside the womb. And they will tell you, I can show you in a page in a textbook, a secular textbook, that that, that shame, that absence of love will start to damage the brain but that that brain can be healed by love. So look at this next shot. This is me with my little granddaughter, uh, Lenny. They named her Lennon Lou Haig. And um, when, her, when she was brought home from the hospital, her little uh, brother, whose name is um, John Alexander Haig Sixth. He couldn't say Lennon, so he started calling her Lemon. <laughs> so she has all kinds of nicknames now. My favorite is I call her Lemon Cello, for those of you who know that, that beverage. The reason we don't just spout commands, and I, I'm just thinking in terms of church, I'm wondering over the years how many times when I preached, people were coming in trying to figure out who they were. And all I did is tell them what to do. The doing comes out of the being. And so our main task as parents, whether our kids are 45 or 4.5, is to somehow saturate our children in the love of God through our love so that when we eventually say to them, it's not just daddy that loves you or mommy that loves you, God loves you, they will believe us because they have experienced that love in and through us. Not perfectly, it's never perfect. So that when we try to take their little hands and take them out of our hands 
and connect them to the hand of God, that the distance won't be like this because all they've gotten is rules. And why, why do some of our kids not want to follow Christ? Because all they see is a God who is like their CEO, barking <laughs> orders, produce, get it done. Or maybe some kind of a, a, a theological seminary professor in the sky. Hey, hey, just read the Bible more. Go to church more. Perform. Instead of what he wants to communicate is that he is our one great love. So, so Deuteronomy um, 6 is, is about how to create space in the parenting of our children, whether, again, they're, they're babies or whether even with our grown children, this can still happen. So that when they think of God, they intuitively think of the love that we have saturated with them with so that they will believe that he loves them and the obedience will tend to flow. I saw a YouTube video just a couple of weeks ago. I don't know who sent this to me. I think I sent it to you, William, and, and some of our other team, of Maya Angelou, who was doing an interview with Oprah. And she was talking about somebody who mentored her when she was younger. And they had, they had a book in front of her, and it was a book about the love of God. And, and, and they said, Maya, I want you to read these, these words. And she, she said, God loves me. He said, or she said, read them again. God loves me. And then the mentor said, read them again. And she went, she's telling this to Oprah. She said, I read, God loves me. Me. And then she, this, this, wise sage of a human being who had been through so much but still in one of those final interviews was talking about the love of God. She put her head in her hands in front of the camera in front of her sister Oprah and she said, it still humbles me to this day that God loves me as tears ran down her face. And then she said these words, I'll never forget watching this video. She said, I know from that moment on that I could do any good thing because God loves me. Parents, if, if, I, if I walked out of here right now because there was an emergency, or I fell over, God forbid, with a heart attack, but if you heard nothing else, this is what this morning is about in terms of our children, young or old. They need to know from us as we do our own healing work that God loves them. If they know that, all shall be well. Now, the second thing that I think comes from this text. I had to watch my time in the first service because you all were in the parking lot, but you better buckle your seatbelts. We're going to be here for a minute. <laughs> Just teasing. The second thing that I think I'd like to talk about in terms of coming out of that text, I want to make, I want I want to help us feel it. I want to help us feel this. What does it look like then? What does it feel like for parents to saturate their children in God's love? What does that look like? I want to talk about two paradigms that are opposite. The first one is love versus shame. Now, we've been talking about love. You kind of already have a feeling for love, but if you're looking for a definition of love, this is one that has come to me over the years. I might have stolen it, but it feels so right. Love is simply when we make a decision to act sacrificially in behalf of someone else, even when they don't deserve it. And when that comes from our heart, that's love. God commended his love toward us. 
And that while we were yet sinners, and we've read that somebody, yeah, we're sinners. Read it like this. When we were literally flipping God off, not trying to be crude, we were saying, don't need you, don't want you. Take your son, go back to heaven. I've got this. He made a decision out of his heart to act sacrificially on behalf of us, even when we didn't deserve it. That's love. Now, shame is love's opposite. Let, let's look at a definition. Shame is the pathological belief that one is at the core a deformed being. When we feel shame, we haven't just done something wrong. We believe we are something wrong. Guilt can be forgiven, but what do we do with shame when it's about who we are as humans? Fundamentally unlovable, the self regarding the self with the withering and unforgiving eye of contempt. And then, as that applies to parenting, shame is often instilled at a delicate age as a result of the internalization of a contemptuous voice, usually parental. The parent is a mirror for the child, giving them a sense of themselves before they have the capacity to achieve this on their own. If you and I have not done some healing work around shame that might have been downloaded into us, then that's what we give our children, albeit in the name of helping them find the right path. But if we have healed enough to know the love of God for ourselves, or maybe we grew up in, rarely, grew up in a home that was saturated with that Deuteronomy 6 love, then that's what we'll give away to our children. But if it's shame, they grow up thinking that there's something wrong with them, that they'll never be enough. By the way, I've never met, I worked with a lot of addiction back in, in, in our second Detroit church, and of course in the suburbs as well. Addiction is everywhere, various kinds of addiction. I've never met an addict that was struggling with addiction that wasn't wrestling with shame. So shame, I've come to believe, along with Kurt Thompson, Kurt Thompson, the Christian psychiatrist, is the one who really taught me this and got me thinking about this is the main tool of the enemy. It steals the freedom and the security of being loved, and it usually starts in the home. So just broadly, love, for example, when we're, when we're parenting, whatever we're doing in our parenting, discipline or otherwise, love values the child, and what we're doing in that moment is for the child. Shame devalues the child, and in that moment, it becomes about us. So I'm thinking of when my my middle daughter, the one who's a therapist today, when she, she was a very sensitive kiddo, and when she walked into middle school the very first day on the east side there in, in Gross Point, where we lived, very near Detroit, but in Gross Point, she walked into that hallway from elementary school, and now she was in middle school, and she walked in the door, I mean three steps, and that environment overwhelmed her heart. And she literally melted down, said, Daddy, I can't do this, and, and, and literally got down on, on the ground, and just started going like this, just sobbing. And so if that moment would have been about me, I might have said something like, hey, 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 you need to get up because I don't want to be embarrassed. I, I don't want, I don't want people to think that my child, I, you, you see how, how it works? But in my healing journey, with so many mistakes that I made, in that moment, there was enough healing me in me. You know what I did in that moment? I got right there, down there on the floor with her. And I just held her. And thank God there was a teacher who walked out and saw. 
and came over and huddled with us. And finally, Leanne was able to allow me to uh, let her go from my arms into the teacher's arms, and she started her middle school. That's, that is a moment of parenting out of love. But lest you think I'm a paragon of virtue, let's talk about my youngest daughter, who, when she was about two, she was in the back seat of a car. We always drove horrific cars because we had no money, and so we drove dumps. So I don't know why I was so worried about this, but she was in the back seat in one of those car seats that two-year-olds are in, and she was trying to open a juice box. Now, whoever invented juice boxes needs to go back to uh, engineering school because I don't know how you open those. Nobody has fixed what happens when you try to get that straw and the juice goes everywhere, right? And so she's back there trying to open a juice box in my dump of a car, and that juice starts flying, and I'm in the front seat going, you, why, why don't you give me that? I, but Now, what was that? Was that about her? No, that was about me. And so in that moment, shame leaked out of me. I want to keep my car nice. I don't even know why. I mean, okay, cleanliness is next to godliness, but that wasn't it. There was something inside me. You need to conform to my me. It's about me. So I was, I was shaming her. She got a message at that point of, oh, I guess I'm a loser. I can't open the juice box that I couldn't open either without it exploding. When you parent out of love, it's, about, it's for them. When we parent out of shame, it ha- it, it's always about us. Sometimes shame can be very, very active. When I was first starting to work on this in my own healing journey, I didn't know what shame was, and then I realized I was full of it. So I did some work, and we decided to preach on it, and did, did a, a series somewhat like this, How to Parent Without Shame. And one day in the early, we, we decided to do a role play with my two oldest girls. So in the early service, my oldest daughter, Andrea, who is quite the little actress, I played the shaming, shouting big dad, and she played the little girl that said, oh, daddy, don't talk to me like that. It makes me feel bad. And the crowd loved it, and they got the message. Second service, my, uh, my sensitive, really sensitive daughter, uh, she was a lot younger, more, more like four than seven. My oldest daughter was seven, I think. And she got up there, and I, I played the raging dad, big, loud. And this was her response. Daddy, I don't want to do this anymore. In front of 500 people. And what had happened is, what I realized later is, a role play in that moment had become a reenactment. So that in that moment, she wasn't doing something for the church. She was reliving what had, to my shame, had happened all too often in the home. And so, of course, I got on my knees and I scooted over to her and I took her in my arms. I said, we don't have to do this anymore, baby. And I gave it to my wife and we went on with our lives. Sometimes shaming is very active. You might want to check yourself. Where do you, in in the name of, well, you, you disobeyed and you... Where does shame leak in? It doesn't just say, that's a hard path for you, son. Daughter, that's not going to be good. That's going to hurt you. Here's life. I'm going to have to discipline you. But it, it literally hurts me more than it hurts you because it's not about me. It's for you. And one is it like, they're irritating me. So it's a rah. And, and sending a message from the powers of darkness that instead of being loved, you are unloved and really not worth very much at all. Sometimes shame can be a lot more subtle. You know, that side eye look. 
Do you think our kids don't see us when we're going? Huh. That, that sends a message. You irritated me again, you irritating little irritator. I mean, I, I work with pastors, as does William and our team, that have a voice like that living in their pastoral hearts, trying to teach the love of God when inside they see their dad or their mom who were so full of shame, we're not throwing parents under the bus, but hadn't done their work. Howard Stern, a guy that many of us love to kind of say, well, he's out of touch. He, I read an article about him one time that when he is berating his dad used to berate him constantly, and he said this in the article. Today, when I'm berating someone on my show, my dad's voice is in my head berating me. My dad wasn't an open shamer. My mom had more of the, the, the screaming and the, and the hitting and that kind of thing because she had been screamed at and hit. My dad was all about performance, that's how shame impacted him. He was a performer, and he loved it when I performed. And so when I performed, he was always there. And I love it that he was there. I appreciate that. For people that never had a parent come to their ball games or their award ceremonies, my dad always did that, and I appreciate it. But here's what he didn't know how to do. When I wasn't performing, he didn't know how to be with me. And so the message that came to me was, I love you, Kev, when you perform. But if not... You're not really worth my time. So you know what I did when I started following Christ? I took my dad's face and put it on God's face. So what I did is perform for God for 36 years until I couldn't perform anymore, and that's when I wanted to take my life. Love, I won't spend too much time here, but you know what I think of when I think of active love? I think of parents who love their children in a way that their kids know that they like them. If I've talked to you before, I've probably read this because no matter what passage I'm looking at, I always find a way to talk about Fred Rogers. And so I used to sit with my kids and watch, they loved Mr. Rogers, and he would read this, this he would sing this song. You know the song. It's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. It's you I like. The way you are right now, the way deep down inside you, not the things that hide you, not your diplomas and your awards and your plaques. They're just beside you. It's you I like, every part of you. I used to sit and weep. You know why? I wanted somebody to say that to me. I wanted God to say that to me. Do your, parent, do your kids know, even your grown kids, moms and dads, grandparents, child influencers, do they know that you like them? Because if they know you like them, I promise you they'll know you love them. And sometimes it can be as simple, loving your kids, it can be as simple as listening and responding. Not about you, but about them. So when my daughter Caroline was about eight years old, she was the introvert. I had to really, the other girls told me everything they were feeling, told Carla everything that they were feeling, but Caroline, not so much. And I took her out for a daddy-daughter date one time, and I said to her, babe, if I was going to be a better dad, what would you like me to do? And she said, and I mean this, eight-year-old said, now that you ask. <laughs> she said, you're gone a lot at night. 
what would it be like if you came home a little more in the evening? I said, thanks, sweetie. I went immediately to the elders. They gave me more time off at night. About two, three months later, Carla says, you got to see this. In her class, they'd done a, one of those My Hero things where you write it down and laminate it. She goes, look what Caroline did. It said, my hero. My hero is my dad because he helps people. But also because he asked me one time what he could do to be a better dad. And I said, could you come home more at night? And he did. That's why my dad's my hero. You don't have to be a rock star. You don't have to know the four Greek words for love. Do your own work and then just in very simple ways, be present to your children and uh, let the love of God flow into the simplest of places. And then the second paradigm is love versus shame and then healing versus punishment. This is what occurred to me this week. I've never taught this anywhere. It never really has occurred to me till this week. So thank you for asking me because this landed in me. Jesus says in Luke 4, quoting Isaiah 61, the great messianic passage, I've come to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. Here's my question for us this morning as parents, grandparents, and children's influencers. Does that include our kids? Why do we treat them so often, mom and dad, as if they are our adversaries? What if they are, what, what does John say? The, the enemy has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Does that include children? Could that be why Jesus, when the disciples said, he hasn't got time for those kids. You know, in, in the Greek language, the word that's used there that says he was incensed or irate is one of the strongest emotional words that ever comes out of Jesus' mouth. He's like, don't, he gritted his teeth, I'll guarantee you, don't you dare forbid those children from coming to me. Stand down. And then those kids came and he wrapped them up in the arms of the Son of God to let them know how much they were loved. And I think implying he already knew how wounded they were coming to that moment. Sometimes that wound comes from us. Sometimes it comes from the world. I can remember my daughter Andrea in sixth grade, the transition from fifth grade to middle school. By the way, let's all vote to ban middle school and go from <laughs> fifth grade. Elect me as your senator and I will sponsor a bill. <laughs> fifth grade to high school, man. I've still got memories and wounds from feeling like a goof in junior high, trying to find my place. And this little girl, I remember the first day, she was waiting for her two fifth grade friends to drive up in their bikes, and they were going to drive off together with Andrea to their first day at middle school. And I watched them kind of drive up, kind of nod, and keep on going. And I'll never, my God... Watching my kid, I remember feeling so helpless. She's trying to get on her bike, and she's almost fallen down and started to chase her friend. She, she chased him for the next four months and eventually felt so, so lost that she wrote a little note that my wife, thank God, found. And, and she, was, she, wanted to, she didn't want to live anymore. So I didn't know what to do. You think I took a class on that sometime? I just knew this little girl doesn't know that those words that hurt can't tell her who she is. 
And so I began to sit with her every night and before she went to sleep. And we went through this cornier than heck little uh, workbook about who she was in Christ and how much she was loved. And I think as much as the words, what was important is that she sat there with my arm around her, again, with all of my mess. If you're thinking right now, man, I've messed my kids up. I was still messing my kids up while I was doing that. Arm around my daughter, I think, yeah, the, the text was good, but she, there was some healing thing. Love covers a multitude of sins. And there was something about this wounded healer, broken daddy love, that began to heal her and push back the darkness. It was in that same period of time that we sent her to a Christian school and we thought, well, that's the answer. There's broken human beings there too. <laughs> Testimony. <laughs> and, and so the, and our kids have to learn to face disappointment. We don't, it's not about rescuing them all the time. We need to be there, knowing where they are emotionally, knowing how they are. So I knew she was in that tough space, and she was playing softball. If you're on the team, play the kid. She was, I mean, game after game, everybody would get in, and she didn't. And so, you know, I, w I was talking to my therapist, and I said, you know what? I'm going to go, and that guy is going to hear, and I'm going to, and he's going to know, and I'm, and she said, don't do that. She said, good therapist. She said, she doesn't need you to rescue her. She needs to know in her pain that you're there for her. So I went to that game, and sure enough, that coach was whatever and, and didn't put her in, and I see her over on the bench. Everybody else is playing. Everybody's having a good time. She's just sitting there like this. And so there was a moment when I was like, all right, you need to know. But then I, I prayed, and God answers prayer. And so I instead, I didn't go to that coach. I went over where my daughter was sitting and I just leaned down touched her on the shoulder she looked up and I said are you okay and she looked up at me like and then I, this is what I said I'm here baby I'm right here if you need me I'm right here and in about 15 minutes some other coach who had half a brain came over, put her in the game. She got a hit, ran all the way around the bases, which she said I had a home run. It was a, it was a single with a bunch of errors. But the point is, <laughs> I did not tell her that. That would have been shaming. But the point is, she, she was so happy. And what she needed was for me to see where she was in her heart, to see the wound and to be present to her there. I, I, you can't fix all of that. But your love, channeling the Father's love, can push back that darkness that is literally trying to take our kids out. Where are your kids today? Not just your two-year-olds. Where are your 42-year-olds? What about asking, how are you? What's going on? Not what have you done, but how are you? And then ask God to show you how to be present with the love that when, when Jesus died on the cross, it was that love that crushed the powers of darkness to be present with that love. So I got to end. And this is, this is the last piece. Love versus shame, healing versus punishment. Yeah, you can go back to that picture just for a minute, Mike. This is me with my two oldest daughters. What if our parenting, maybe this is a good image to show you before we get to the last point. 
What if our parenting looked like this? A lot of clouds here, man, a lot of fog, a lot of danger here. I don't even know what those cement things are here, those iron things are. A lot of rocky beach. This is not Sanibel Island. <laughs> you see these little girls? They don't know where we're going. But their daddy is there. And they knew, even in my baggage, as I was healing, they were getting some of that healing love. And so they know that I'm holding on to them. I've got them. I'm on the journey with them. And sure, if they started running off into the waters, I'd be, get back here, and I'd go rescue them. I, they ha we have to channel them. We have to, they, they need to learn the path of life for sure. But they know here, I can tell you, even in my stuff, they knew that I loved them. That's why they're walking that beach with me. What if that was our journey with our kids? So last point, this is number three. The best gift we can give to our kids is our own healing journey because we can't, listen, don't miss this, we can't give away what we're not receiving. We will give away what we are receiving. So in that text that we read earlier, verse 6 says, let me read it to you literally. These words which I command you, talking to the parents, the caregivers, shall be in your heart implied first. Before this stuff starts coming out of your mouth, and you bring it into bring the love of the Lord your God into your heart first. And then you'll be able to give it away to your children. So these pictures right here, this one on the left, this is our engagement picture. My wife was 19 years old. Where were the grown people to tell us this is not a good thing? <laughs> I mean, we were babies. We did not know how much wound we carried from well-meaning, Christian, but wounded, dysfunctional families. We had no idea how much we carried into our marriage. So between here, and this is just a few years ago, and I can promise you, we still tangle. She is she, and I am me. And, you know, I thought, you know, I'm big, she's short. If I just talk louder, she'll... And, I mean, over the years, she's going, back off, bro. Uh, because I'm me, and you're not going to change me. I'm going to try to be the best me I can be, but you can't change me. So do you think we don't tangle? We tangle. You got into our marriage. Some days you might be going, do you believe in Jesus in this house? <laughs> we, we tangle. But this is real. We work it through, and if there's more healing that needs to be done, then we pursue the healing so we can give to one another what we are still giving our kids, as grown as they are, and now our grandkids. We, want, we know that we can't give what we're not receiving. So both of us have been on a long healing journey. I'm not healed. I'm still healing. You know, what, you know what a synonym for healed is? Glory. Between now and glory, we're still on earth, which means we're still healing. The invitation is, Jesus, I've come to heal the brokenhearted and set the captives free. The invitation to us this morning, my brothers and sisters, all of us with a little boy or a little girl inside of us that in some ways is likely still wounded, is to receive that healing invitation and pursue. So then we can pass back what we don't want to pass on.
early on in our marriage, we were, we had, a, we had a pretty bad fight one time, living in the parsonage right next to the church. It was bad, and I, I, I was only physical with my wife one time, I probably told many of you this story, I regret it to this day, and then I got some help, and I never touched anybody again. I was so messed up, man, I was so jacked up. I was so messed up. But at my mouth, you know, the anger, I, I just had learned to cope with life. That's how I beat down the life. If I was anxious, I got angry. Other people might drink, other people might, I don't know, spend some addiction, I was, I was just angry. I was still trying to heal, still early stages of healing. We had a big fight, and I was so distraught. I'm like, I'm, i got to preach tomorrow. Look what I just, how did I talk to my wife? What in the, I got down on my knees, literally, and started begging God to show me what. What am I supposed to do? And all of a sudden, I was aware of somebody next to me, and I looked down, and there was my five-year-old daughter, Andrea, my oldest, who was kneeling next to me, praying for our marriage. And it was one of those moments when I said, when I heard God almost literally say to me, this is not hers. This is yours, son. Take care of your business. And I can't remember the exact things that I did at that time. There were several periods of my life where I had a wake-up call, and that was one of them, where I pursued more deeply my healing journey so that we didn't have to come back that way again. What about you? Whether you say, my parenting days are over, man, there's still kids running around that you can influence with the love of God. They're still your grown children. What, this week, when I was preparing this talk, last two weeks, I got so distraught again. It's like the enemy reminded me of all the ways I messed up. You're going to talk about parenting? What all the ways you messed up? I called, I texted my oldest daughter, Andrea, who said, Daddy, of course, but what you did, Dad, you kept healing. And then she said, you came back to us over the years and said, is there anything between us that might need to be healed? She said, you did that work with us. Heck, one time I was at a, children, a children's camp, no, a, a camp, camp for family, giving a lecture on parenting kids, and I came back, to my, came back to my cabin, the speaker's cabin, I got a call from my middle daughter, the therapist, who had just been to her own therapist appointment. She goes, Dad, can I talk to you? And she's sobbing. I said, well, you bet, sweetie. She goes, something just came up in therapy about you and me and my childhood. And I said, I really, I was like, Lord. And she goes, can I talk to you? I said, you bet you can. And she poured it out and she sobbed and I wept. And I said, baby, what do you need to hear from me? I would do anything to go back and undo that. No defense. There was no defense. I'd do anything to go back and undo that. What do you need to hear from me, sweetheart? And she said, could you just tell me from your heart one more time that you're sorry? And with tears running down my face, I did. She dried her tears on the phone wherever she was. And I said, how are you doing now, babe? She goes, I'm good, Dad. And she went off into her life. And I went back in to tell people how to parent. Let me end with this. Caroline, man, my youngest. And by the way, I asked my daughters before I came this weekend, what are your boundaries about what I tell? And the only daughter that didn't respond was the therapist. I don't know why. I think she, honestly, I think she trusts me, but the other two said, you tell anything, it will help folks. 
So this girl, this youngest one, um, she had an eating disorder. Started when she was 11, we got fired from a church. One of the motivators for us to do Rooted Ministries was, was, that, was that firing and how it devastated my family. And um, my daughter spun out into an eating disorder that she wrestled with for, I don't know, 15 years, went to treatment twice. She's doing really, really well today. But there were so many times when she wouldn't eat and she wouldn't talk because she was an introvert. And I can remember one time when she was 16, sitting at the table, Carla was gone, and I remember standing over her in my 200-pound self, just, you need to, and why aren't you talking to me? And I just had, I had a relapse in that moment. That's what, I, when I think of Caroline sometimes, that's what I think about me and her. That's what the enemy does. He tells us all the, all this crap. But our kids can receive the love even as they're fighting off the wound that pushes back the wound, the love that pushes back the wound. So I got this card from her a few years ago. The print says, when I think of you, Dad, this is Caroline, I think of all the different ways you care, all the things you've done for me and still do. When I think of you, Dad, I think of love. When I read that side of the card, I went, are you kidding me? You can't think of love? Because all I can remember is the stuff that I did that wasn't love. And then on the other side of the card, this introvert who doesn't really open up like this very often said, it's true, when I think of you, I think of love. You've taught me so much over the years, humility, tenderness, how to listen, how to suffer. But the thing that stands out the most to me is how you've been a consistent, and she even says pure, I don't even know, example of love, loving yourself, loving others, and receiving the love of Jesus. Thank you, Dad, for the love. Even in my brokenness, as I pursued healing with my wife, Carla, you might be saying today, oh, I've, I've screwed it up. It's over. It is never over in the kingdom of God. We've got a healer that is just as ready to start the healing journey with any of us today as he's ever been in our journey. And he sees, by the way, that little boy and that little girl that's still crying out, can somebody see me? Can somebody, can somebody come to me? Can somebody heal me? He sees and he has compassion. In fact, just like Luke 15, he's running toward us today saying, take my hand and we'll do this together. My love will begin to heal your pain and set you free so you can give it away first to yourself and then to the kids in this world. That's when we left to go to Colorado. My girls flew in from Colorado came, that's when we left the house that we had raised our kids in all those years. And there's wound there, but there's a whole lot of healing and a whole lot of freedom, not because we're perfect, but because we're on the journey with our healing Christ. What about you? My father, we surrender this last 45, 50 minutes. We surrender it. And I pray for each son and daughter that are here today. You know them intimately. You love them boldly. You know what we're carrying, Lord. You know how that's dripping into the next generation, even though we don't want it to. Would you whisper to us today, I see you, son. I see you, daughter. I'm with you. I'm your one great love. I'm your healer. The enemy, the shame can't stand when my love is present. Take my hand. Let's go on a healing journey toward freedom 
together. I will never, ever leave you alone. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.